This is Corolla Digital. Hi, this is Adam Corolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really loves flying to France. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And I just have to jump in and immediately say that song makes me feel great again. Yes, I've said it before. Yes, I say it all the time, because it's true every time. You can close your eyes no matter what your mood is, and you can think and just rock back and forth and start to smile as that terrific band plays that terrific song. What is the band? I don't know. What is the song? I don't know. But I do know it makes me happy every time I hear it. So thanks, fellas. Of course, that's the Ethan Miller Orchestra and the Eileen Marie Miller Dancers featuring boy tenor James Smith asking the musical question... If the best way to fight fire is fire, why do they insist on using water? Well, first of all, James, that's a terrific question. That is, the colonel and I both saw, thought so. He, he loved it right off the bat, and so did I. If the best way to fight fire is fire, why do they insist on using water? What I love is the word insist in there. Not because you could just set that up by saying, why do they keep using water? But insist really strengthens it. It really underlines it. Why do they insist on using water? That's a terrific question. Because if you think about it, every film, every news report you see of a fire being fought uses water, of course. And it doesn't seem to be working, does it? It really doesn't. Whether it's an outdoor fire where whole plane loads and boatloads of water are dropped right on the fire. Now, that's a lot of water. You you might think, I think, that's a lot of water. That should put the fire out. And that giant plane load and giant boatload of water hit that fire, and you can clearly see it does nothing. It It doesn't affect the fire in any way. It doesn't even make the fire kind of shake its head and say, what the, what the heck was that? It doesn't make the fire do anything. If the fire did anything, it would be giggle, I think. The fire could just say, oh, Bob, they're dropping the water again. They don't know that it just doesn't work. So in any case, uh, I'm, I'm, of course, you know, uh, fire departments and, and firemen for thousands of years have used water because that's what puts fire out. But 
that old saying is, is, is true. We've all heard it say, that's the key. You've got to fight fire with fire. Oh, okay. You mean sort of like two lines on a football team? The offense and the defense just on hike, they just hit each other hard at about 17 miles an hour? That's got to hurt. That's fighting fire with fire, isn't it? So James Smith has asked, if the best way to fight fire is fire, why do they insist on using water? I might say force of habit and tradition. Those things are good. We're always going to be using water unless someone invents finally the, well, how to have a fire brigade that just drops something on it. Lollipops, anything at all, something that was obvious, that was there all the time, that stops fire. Until then, well, those fellows are going to be fighting the hard fight with the water. And is the best way, if the best way to fight fire is with fire, why do they insist on doing it that way? Maybe the best way to fight fire is not fire. Maybe we've all been saying that for thousands of years and we've never stopped to think that doesn't sound right at all. The best way to fight fire can't be fire, in fact. Can it? Well, maybe not. I don't think so. The colonel and I think that that may be a giant hoax. If the best way to fight fire is with fire, maybe it's not with fire. Maybe if you fight fire with fire, both sides of the fire just say, this has to be the dumbest thing they've ever tried. So in any case, James, why, if the best way to fight fire is fire, why do they insist on using water? Because even though it doesn't seem to work, it does work eventually, and it's the only thing we have. Until one of you smart folks out there invents something that can be dropped on a fire and just knock it out in a tenth of a second, boy, that would be a great day in the morning, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? So, James, good question. And uh, I must say I used the name of uh, one of my kids for the orchestra leader there and for my wife, for the dancers there, and that is not for any other reason except he just graduated. My kid just graduated from high school yesterday, and uh, that's quite an event. If you've ever been to something like that, well, you can kind of hate it the way you hate everything, or I can anyway, because I, I don't like anything. But I do, I do, but they held it downtown here in Los Angeles at the, the Disney Concert Hall, which uh, I had never been to before. It's one of those buildings, I talked about this with the colonel, and he agrees, and he always felt the same way too. I've never liked modern designers. Now, I, I think you mentioned the name Walter Geary, Frank Geary. And I'm I'm not teasing now. He's hugely successful, right? And he's he's the most popular designer and has a huge firm. I'm guessing, but I, I don't like any of those things. I don't I don't like that the whole Getty Museum that was made here in Los Angeles that sits on the top of a hill to me looks like a sewage treatment plant in Poland in the fifties. I mean, it just looks like a, an empty, ugly building, a, a kind of a stupid building. And it's a series of the buildings. They have three or four buildings there. 
And everyone says, oh, that's the Getty. We're having it at the Getty. It's being thrown at the Getty. We must get to the Getty. And I, not to me, every time I drive past it on the 405, which is often, I keep thinking, can you imagine after all these years, and that would be all these years, about 20 years, would you say, that that thing's been around? And it was built and talked about for a long time, folks. And I'm telling you that it's sort of like the emperor's new clothes to me, that when they opened that Getty, everyone just swooned in affection for it. The newspapers, the critics, the public, everyone just, oh, my goodness. It's just astonishing. They've done it again. What a beautiful, beautiful, giant, top-of-the-mountain lie it is. You know, what, some, it's a museum and it, and it, and it celebrates art or something. Folks, I'm telling you, if, if you ever get out here, you may want to say, hey, let's go to the Getty. And if you do, that's terrific. I'm glad you do. I, I, I haven't been there yet, but I'm, I'm satisfied just by driving past it 15 or 20 times a week. And I'm telling you, I would be gladder I would be happier. I would smile more if I saw if I saw the Parthenon. Make it look like the Parthenon. Make every building look like the Parthenon. And make 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 every modern train station, well I guess we don't make those anymore. I mean every modern building or museum or anything or stock brokerage look like the Parthenon. You know what that looks like? You've all seen it on the news or on uh, in serials a uh, hundred times. It's just, it's regular enough looking. It's a rectangular shape. But boy, those columns are classic design. It just makes me smile. It makes, I think, wow, what a design. What a great building that was. Which, folks, I think is why we keep talking about it 2,400 years later. I'm just guessing. I don't know exactly when the Parthenon was built. And it's still standing there. It wasn't blown up by the Nazis, and it uh, wasn't blown up during the big communist revolution in Greece, which I think happens about every half hour, and no one's killed the Parthenon yet, so why don't we make everything look like that? I, I, I have felt, and I've told this to my, my kids and wife, and, well, maybe I've mentioned it here on the air to you, but when the, after the World Trade Center's in were were well just blown apart and fell down and all those well just wonderful innocent lives taken up in, in just in smokes of of murder well i thought i can't believe they had to wait years to decide on a design for that thing i just can't believe they didn't build the world trade centers exactly the same but a foot higher. I, I just can't believe that. To me, that's the obvious and wonderful thing to do. Same way, a foot higher. I think that's some pretty good publicity to me. And if, and if then someone wants to try to knock it down again, I think we should let all those folks loose who fought it, all those fellas on the police and the fire department and all... Well, all the priests and rabbis who are wandering around there helping people. Uh, by God, I, I, I can't believe we just didn't do that. So, so the main thing is that 
Well, I I can't believe that we have to go down and build buildings like the the Disney Concert Hall. People love it. Again, that's why it's the Emperor's New Clothes to me. When as soon as they built it, I looked to the left and to the right and straight and behind me, and everyone was saying, it's magnificent. It's just wonderful. And I kept saying, as I drove past it again, I hadn't been there, boy, you got me. And it's like the new church that was built there, the same thing about 10 years ago. Everyone said the same thing. Fantastic. It's unbelievable how gorgeous that is. And I did the same thing. I drive past it. It's right there in the same place. It's almost next to each other. And, boy, that doesn't look like a great place to me. It doesn't look like a great church to me. It doesn't look like a place that elevates the soul to me. To me, the same sort of thing as the Parthenon. You want to, let's see, how do you build a church? Go to the Vatican. You know, in St. Peter's Square where they all get together and the white smoke goes up there. There's a lot of beautiful buildings there. I'm not even talking about what's inside. Never mind the chairs and the ceilings, you know, made by the, well, Michelangelo and the greatest artists of the time. But just the outside looks like, I mean, they look so beautiful and so commanding and so respectful. I think they might actually get God to come down just because of those buildings. To say to to come down and say, I have to be honest, this is very flattering. So in any case, we went down there for the graduation, and I I, I have to tell you, it was a it was such well, a demanding, annoying ride down there in the traffic. Let's see, when do you have to go down there? My wife said, We're leaving at four thirty. Oh, you mean the heart of rush hour? to get on the freeway in Los Angeles, to go down to downtown Los Angeles, where everyone is going at rush hour. But I didn't say that to her because she would, well, she wouldn't react well to it, would she? But, you know, to get there, you know how annoying that ride was? You know how annoying parking there was to get on the line to park and to go down one level, then another level, then another level, and then another level, and there are still more levels below you, and to park there. And you, well, you feel like a refugee after a war. It was like the, the the year of living dangerously, and you feel like you have to pack your bags with birds in them and, and, and hay sticking out of the sides and then come walk back up to get to street level to the ugly building. But... I was so annoyed by the ride and the parking and just getting back to the main area there that in the lobby of the concert hall, which isn't that concerty looking, by the way. It's just, it's okay. At least you're not outdoors still. And in the lobby, I saw a guy, one of the fathers I know, from the high school. And I've known the guy all these years. And... I saw him, and my face lit up in a big smile. I said, hi, look who's here. And his face did the same thing. Hey, good to see you. And we had a big handshake and were smiling at each other. Said, well, this is, boy, all these years and all the trips to, oh, sure, and everything. And we were smiling and laughing. And then I think it hit us both at the same time when we both realized, I don't even like this guy. That's the key. I, I, in fact, I, I dislike him, and I, I think he dislikes me. In fact, I know he dislikes me. But the ride was that bad just to get there. 
we were so thrilled to see each other, we couldn't even remember. I hate this guy. So it was more important to say, oh, thank God, let me shake your hand, and we can smile and laugh with each other. And then we went to the graduation. By the way, I saw him after the graduation, and where all the kids are coming out in their robes, and we're all taking pictures, and we're all on the sidewalk in front of the fabulously ugly Disney building. And by the, and, and by the way, it was so hot in there. It was, it was very hot because uh, I was remembering. I said to my wife, gee, where did you have your high school graduation? We had hard, we had ours in the, in the gym, you know, where they, they, just, they just unfold that dividing gym door, the one that goes floor to ceiling, and just just creaks and all the panels fold into each other on hinges, and they just and they just have to unfold that. You know what? That was fine to me. I mean, it was fine to her. That was a fine graduation, and it was hot. Colonel Jeff said, "Well, yeah, but it was it was hot in those gyms?" And I said, "Until you've been to one in the Disney concert hall, I don't think you know what hot is." Everyone in there, the faculty, the administration, all the kids graduating, all the folks, all the executives, the uh, the, the pastor who was the president of the place, because it's 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 a religious school. At any rate, though, so everybody, everybody, including all the parents, friends, and family in the audience, were fanning themselves with the programs, and I mean every single one. You could look out there. It was like a shot in a bad movie where the director then said, okay, everyone fan themselves starting now. So you know what? It was fine. It was not only fine, but even when they tell you not to take pictures and, well, the woman a couple of people from down from you is taking pictures when her son comes up and makes his speech and, well, even when she did that, I could get a little little annoyed at that, but oh, the heck with it. It's her kid for crying out loud. She should take pictures of her kid. She ought to be allowed to take a picture of her kid at his high school graduation. And I really think that's still. And sure, my wife had her phone attached to a giant lens camera or something. That's the only way I know how to describe them, by the way. It's what it looked like to me. So when she took some pictures of our kid when he was called up and when he went up there to shake everybody's hands. And, well, that's okay with me, too. And I hope that woman felt the same way. You don't, you don't get to get annoyed at someone and then do the same thing yourself. And, well, we did that. And we, you know, it just, it was as special as it ought to be. It was as wonderful as it ought to be as a high school graduation. It was terrific because your kid is in it. That's the only reason that becomes terrific. If I were just there as a guest to see another friend's kid graduate, and I wouldn't be, by the way, but just in case I did go and drive all the way down there, it's unlike when people say to you, about uh, other little kids, you know, when they're, oh, three and four years old, and there are seven or eight of them, and someone always says, oh, look at them, aren't they adorable? I always say, not to me. No, they're not 
to me. They're not cute to me. You know why? Because they're not mine. If they're yours, you like them. How about that? You think that kid is lovable? You love that kid if that kid is yours. But don't worry about me saying, oh, they're just gorgeous. I'll say that to my kid, okay? I think that's an easy system that we ought to develop as Americans, by the way. It just doesn't quite matter as much as we think it does. And uh, we went out to dinner after after the graduation ceremony. Well, there's a long period with, and there should be, by the way, when all the kids take pictures with each other and of each other and they hug each other and they laugh with each other, and it should be. All the boys and girls are now, well, young men and young women, and they're all going off. The young women are looking up, well, in the sky and thinking of God and the, and the, and the path to growing to be a good adult, and the, the young men are looking at them, frankly. That, that's, that's the path they want to develop. The young men are looking at the, the valedictorian making a speech thinking, she is hot, but... At any rate, after that, we walked. There was a restaurant, uh, oh, two or three blocks up in downtown Los Angeles there. And I'm mentioning that also because it's not a good city to be in downtown at 9.40 on a Monday night or any night. There's, there's no one around there, and I mean no one. This is not an exaggeration. I mean zero other humans. And so... The street itself, you look down one way, and it's huge and very long, and it's empty. And you look up the other way, and it's huge and very long, and it's empty. It was like the day the earth stood still. If You want to say, wow, this is frightening. This is a little creepy. And it was. So just to get there, just to walk there, you know, and I, I had to insist kind of. It was my wife and her sister, and I loved them both, and our kids, and... Uh, Let's see, who else Who else did we have there? But the point is, I said, let's just stay together, all right? You know, can we do that so that if if there's a light and it, and it goes green and you get the... Just wait for the other seven people to come up behind you. Wait another light, okay? And, uh, well, they didn't listen to me, but that's all right. Because they, they didn't want to listen. We got to, you know, restaurant and so loud in there because it's all... High school kids having fun together. And again, I have to say, good for them. That's their business. That's their right to have fun together. I'm sick of me and all of us overusing the word right so much. They have a right to do that. And and it's in this sense you want to say, well, for crying out loud, why should graduating high school kids not be shouting and kind of punching each other and telling jokes to each other. When else should they do that? They should do it right then. And when the restaurant staff brings the uh, brings the meal on the menu that day, which was always all the same in a good way. I mean, there were burgers and veggie burgers and chicken sandwiches and, uh, and big bowls of couscous. And I enjoyed that because I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what it is, and I still don't know what it is, and I still really don't want to know. If one of you, by the way, wants to write in as to what couscous is, well, I'd like to know. And in any case, that was the main thing. My son, God bless him, was mentioned by others in the graduation. It's very meaningful. 
all of them are going to really terrific schools next year, to colleges and universities, and my son has joined the Marines. And I have mentioned that before to you. And, well, I think that's pretty great. And so does my wife. We both think it's pretty great. It took us a while. We didn't exactly, well, make a Norman Rockwell painting and just with us smiling and carving the turkey. But we did because we feel that way. And God bless him. He he wants to be a Marine and he's going to be a great Marine. And, well, I guess we feel the way we should. We love him and we support him. And he deserves to howl at the moon on that night more than any other. So after we left the restaurant, which is finally, let's say, I guess, about my wife and I and our other kid, and then we walked her sister to her car, and my wife and uh, me and our other kid got in our car, and we drove home. I guess we got home about 11.30, and our graduating boy went back to the school to... uh, hang out with his friends, and then they went to somebody's house to hang out and, again, shout and punch and just have fun, whatever it is they do. Maybe there were girls there. I don't know. I don't know where his girlfriend... I didn't say to him, where's your girlfriend tonight? Because she she graduated, too. And, you know, maybe I thought he might like to be with his girlfriend, and she might like to be with him. But I didn't ask that. But in any case, he was out. He didn't get home till about 3.30, and then he didn't sleep at all. But, folks, thank God... As we're speaking now, they were up. My wife organized this very well, and she drove the two of them to the airport. And as I was coming down here to the studio a little earlier this afternoon, they had just landed in New York because they were flying to France. That's right. You don't have to tap the radio, by the way. I said flying to France. Uh, I didn't know about this either. You're, you and I found out more or less in the same way. I found out three or four days ago because uh, I said, okay, so the next uh, day, and uh, we actually we were at our dinner table. My wife said, with a very odd expression on her face, uh, well, we're, fi- we're flying to Paris. And I said, what you would have said if you had heard the same, we're flying to Paris. And I said, I beg your pardon? And I, there was no charge on that. There was no anger on that. Her face was kind of vulnerable and innocent, which is a new one for her. But I said, Paris? You mean Paris, Ohio, or Paris, New York? And she said, no, Paris, France. And I looked at her, and then I looked at our kid, and uh, and she said, I didn't tell you because I was waiting to find out if we're going. We got the tickets on a big bargain thing. They got it, I, I, I think, free uh, off of the last trip they made to Paris, Ohio. But they got it. She got the tickets. And, well, I think they're going to have a great time. So, happily enough, thank God, when I was coming over to the studio here, they called me and said, hey, we just landed in New York. And we're having a little lunch bite at one of the airport coffee shops. And then we go to get on our plane for Paris. I said, well, that's awfully nice. So, folks, as we're speaking now, 
And, uh, well, certainly by the time you hear this, but as we're speaking now, I'll tell you what, they're, well, they're on their way to Paris. They will be landing there in about eight hours, and then they'll call me, and we'll talk, and uh, God bless them. Then they'll, well, get a good night's sleep. I said to my wife, what hotel are you staying at? And she said, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. And I decided that was the time when questions should stop. Any other questions I had were just going to make her mad. And so I, if she doesn't know the name of the hotel, I know she, she's not an idiot. She's, she's great at these things. So I know she picked a good place and that the two of them will be very happy and they'll be in a whole country where everyone smokes constantly. And you know what, though? I have nothing against France. I told my son when we spoke in the car, I said, well, as soon as you land there, tell everyone in France that I'm sorry about the things I've been saying about them for the last 12 years. And I didn't mean them. And I was always kidding. And tell them I think they're the best. And he and he, he was laughing as I was saying that. Perhaps you are, too, knowing that it's just not true. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter because I think they're, they're the best and they'll see a great city. And I'm hoping they'll just have a, a fine time. And in any case, folks, that's why their names were listed today as the orchestra leader and the woman who runs the dancers because they both did a great job. My wife, God bless her, did a great job getting him through junior high and high school and elementary school as well, by the way. I sort of canned out. I sort of I sort of trickled out. In elementary school, one of his teachers, this what was her name? I can't remember her name, but... For our younger son, uh, we went to one of those parent-teacher nights, which are useless anyway. There's no point to go to these stupid things. But that's right. We're there. And she said to me about our younger son, uh, and I don't even ask questions because I don't care. I'm not one of those parents who says, how is he on multiple choice tests? You know what? He's getting by. That's their job, isn't it, to just teach him some things and, and get them by? And she had a kind of a an awkward expression on her face and she smiled, half smiled, and she she couldn't quite bring herself to give him a compliment. He's a great kid. He's the greatest kid in the world. And and she said to me, well, he's, uh, he's always, when he comes back from recess, he's always so energetic. She was trying to think of something nice to say. And that's when I snapped. I looked at her and I just, because I couldn't take it from these folks anymore. And that's when I, I just said to her, oh, I know what you mean. You mean he's not like you. Isn't that what you mean, really? That he's not like you? You want him to be like the other girls? You want him to be a girl? If you want that, just tell me. And she's saying, well, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. And I said, oh, yes, yes. That's actually exactly what you want, isn't it? So you're saying when he goes to recess and when he runs like a young boy and plays with the other boys, and they wrestle each other, and climb trees, and punch each other, you're saying, you don't want that, because it's not like you. And uh, that was when I realized I should probably stop talking, because she was crying. She was she was so frightened. But that's when my wife said to me, any meeting we went to with the, with the teachers, I started to say things like that. And I would suddenly feel something, and I realized she was holding my forearm with hers and pressing her nails into my skin just to try to get me to shut up. 
just to try, without having to yell, put a sock in it. And so finally, when you when you feel the fingernails, and it's not right away, but after about 10, 12 seconds of those fingernails, and they don't get softer, they get harder as they dig in more. So when you feel that, and when you look down and you see those marks on your arm that don't go away, they just don't go away. Those will be around as long as the Sistine Chapel. In any case, she did a great job of getting him through so that I didn't yell at people. And he did a great job on getting her through. And God bless him, they're on a plane to Paris right now. And then when they get back, of course, they're, they're flying to the moon. Now, I don't know what they're doing, but they, I think it's great that she's doing that and wanted to do that and set them up for that. And so when I finish this with the show today, I'm going to take the other boy out to dinner, a Chinese restaurant that I know he likes. And uh, no, it's not him. It's me. I like it. Come to think of it. No, he likes it. And so you know what? I, there's not, I couldn't be happier. There's nothing for me to be happier about. And uh, so as James Smith's asked, if the best way to fight fire is fire, why do they insist on using water? You know what? I don't know, James, and maybe water's not the way to go. But what I do know is my wife and son deserve a happy four or five days on their trip to the land of smelly cheese. So there we are, and I'm glad you're here. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. The greatest business in the world. Whatever you want, you order from Amazon. Not by yourself. You just order it from Amazon. They'll send you anything you ask for. And the reason it's the greatest business in the world is you're happy because you get what you wanted. They're happy because they sent you what you asked for. And we're happy because they give us here at the show a percentage of what you order. So that's three happy people. And by PayPal, still the most fun name of a company for me to say, PayPal. And what you do is they're like... Well, a terrific group that channels money like a terrific charity. And what you do to them is you send them money that you, if you want to send us something, go to your local bar, find out what they charge for a drink, and send us that price times three. And that'll pay for a drink for Colonel Jeff and a drink for Dr. Chris and a drink for me. So you know what? That's right. That's right. That's for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner out. So thank you, Amazon, and thank you, PayPal. And by the way, you can do both on our website. That's right, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. You go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner that says Amazon, and we have a section for PayPal. And you know what? You don't have to do anything. Click those banners. Click those places. And then go into your big easy chair and take a nap. We will take you electronically to these places. And we like them already. I know I do. Maybe we should ask them to our big fancy fried chicken dinner, in fact. Bet they'd come. Well, that leads us to my favorite part of the show always, which is the joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. I love jokes. You love jokes. All God's children love jokes. And you know what, though? It really is fun to pass around these jokes. That's why I love looking for them, 
Colonel Jeff finds them sometimes, and Dr. Chris finds them sometimes, and this one was found by Colonel Jeff. And here's the joke of the week from me to you. A married man was having an affair with his secretary. Ooh, good way to start. Da-da-da-da. I always wondered how that happened, but I seriously do. I never knew why the cliché in films, in American films in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, used to be that the big businessman, the boss, or whatever he was, would chase the secretary around the desks. I never knew what... I still don't know what that means. That was the big cliché. Uh-oh, he's chasing his secretary around her desk. Now, I assume that meant something, well, sexual or something, but I, I swear I, st- I don't know, didn't know then, I still don't know what that means. But in this joke, a married man was having an affair with his secretary. So one day, their passions overcame them, and they took off for her house. Wow. That really, that's, that's a lot of passion. Exhausted from the afternoon's activities, they fell asleep and awoke around 8 p.m. Uh-oh, you know. So as the man threw on his clothes, he told the woman to take his shoes outside and rub them through the grass and dirt. And she said, well, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know what he said. Please, just do what I say. Take them outside and don't be shy about it. Just rub them all over with the grass and the dirt. And mystified, she, she complies and, and goes out and does it. And he slips into his shoes and drives home. Where have you been, demanded his wife. When he entered the house, and darling, I can't lie to you. He says, I've been having an affair with my secretary. I fell asleep in her bed and didn't wake up until 8 o'clock. And his wife glanced down at his shoes and said, You liar! You've been playing golf! That's a pretty good joke. The colonel and I like that one. It's once again funny to go into joke land into a territory. It starts out weird anyway. A married man is having an affair with his secretary. Well, then it's all crazy then. Who knows Who knows what's going to happen? In any case, that's our joke of the week. I hope you liked it, and I hope you give it a try with your friends too and passing it along so it stays here for a long, long time. And now... Another section I love so much, the Poetry Corner. That's right, our Poetry Corner, our corner of poetry. Poetry is a great structure. It's a great art form. When the poet is good, he or she takes us into a very good place, a very good land, a different way to look at life. And this week's poem is at the suggestion of Colonel Jeff, and I thought it was a terrific idea. He said, well... Maya Angelou just passed away. Let's read something of hers. And I said, good for you. And the name of this poem is called, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, by Maya Angelou. It became one of her best-known poems and most beloved poems. And I think it's the title of one of her books. I think even the first book. In any case, here we go. I know why the caged bird sings. The free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. 
but a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with fearful trill of the things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. And there we have it. I know why the caged bird sings by Maya Angelou. And, uh, well, rest in peace to her. And she sure did a, a lot of great work. I have to say with a smile, and it's, and it's a complimentary smile too, I think poems that get to repeat one of the stanzas as the last one, I think that's kind of neat. I always want to think, wow, you don't have to paint two coats with this paint. You can paint just one. It looks like two coats. So I think that's kind of neat. It's a beautiful stanza, but a good way end. That And his time is heard on the distant hill for this caged bird sings of freedom. So in any case, that's our poem of the week, our search for freedom, and our wonder at what the difference is to not be free. And that takes us to our magic movie moment. And I love talking about this. I love living with this, the magic movie moment. Because a magic movie moment is in a great movie. And it moves us every time. And it teaches us something every time. As long as we're willing to learn. And this one has so much to teach for so long. It's called Notorious. From 1946, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It's a great movie, folks. If you haven't seen Notorious, look it up. You'll be glad you did. Starring Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains, Louis Calhern, so many other great... Oh, Madame Constantine, I think, is in it, too. Yes, she is. And they're all just wonderful, folks. And... It's a movie about right after the war, the Second World War, and about German spies in South America, in Brazil. And Cary Grant plays one of the fellows working for, well, the good guys, our OSS before it became the CIA, and how they catch people and how they go after people and how they get them. And the thing I love about this movie that makes it magical to me, that gives it a magic moment to me, is that in this case, it's a theme that runs through the movie of Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman love each other from the day they met, but they can't have each other and they can't care about each other. And 
They have to work together in something very important. And holding this love back and waiting to use the, your sense of duty and your sense of heroism the way Cary Grant does to save Ingrid Bergman, and he does, having love last like that and having love be able to come out at the end and be everything love should be and having them say, yes, I care about you too, I love you too, and knowing that they've beaten a very tough group and that they can last together in what they've found because the point of this movie is not that they beat bad guys but that they found their own love. And the other side of this that makes it magical to me is it's, well, Alfred Hitchcock is always great. And the way he draws the other folks, the other fellas, the German spies, and what they did during the Second World War, and what they're doing now that Germany lost, and what they're doing to hang together, and the way they have to prance around and pose themselves and how mean they get with each other is really a glimpse into a world you don't want and I don't want. But it's a good look into it and you think, good Lord, go away. Kill each other, kill yourselves. But no, you lose not only this battle, but you lose the purity of the love these two have found which they are taking away from you and just, well, as Maya Angelou said, flying into the, into the orange sun sky. And folks, it means so much to think of that in this great movie. So uh, just think of that notorious with Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains, Louis Callahan, Madame Constantine, and Alfred Hitchcock movie from 1946. See it sometime, and please send us a note saying, well, why it made you feel that way. And you know something, folks? My, well, my, my kid and my wife are flying to France right now. And how many people do you know, I'm sure they've done wild things after their graduations, but boy, I'll tell you, there just can't be that many kids who graduate get mentioned so fondly, are such good souls, then fly to France to do what? I don't know, but he's going to have a great time there with my wife. They're both going to have a great time there. And then when he gets back, oh, he joins the Marines. There just can't be that many. If you have a triple play, so to speak, like that, either in your family or a friend's kid you know that did something like that, something a little on the wild side, you know, graduated. I don't mean bad. I mean, just it's just not something you hear a lot. You graduate from school and, oh, yeah, where's he going? Japan. What? Yes, he's going to Japan for five days. Why? Well, why not? Okay. And what about after that? He's joining the ballet. Really? Okay. So if you have something like that, that really is, with, well, with a smile or with a frown, distinctive like that, send it to us at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And I think it may be perfect for the Marines after that because it's, 
as Colonel Jeff said, well, the first thing you're going to think is, you know what, now that I've gotten back from France, I really do feel like killing someone. So why don't we join something? In any case, I'm glad he is. I'm very proud of him. And you should feel this way about your kids, too. There are certain things we know about the way we know them, about how we feel about our children and our wives. And you and I are lucky because we know other things very definitely. Things like Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is the truest thing I know, graduate or not. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. <laughs>